Welcome to the documentary from the BBC World Service, where we report the world, however difficult the issue, however hard to reach. Podcasts from the BBC World Service are supported by advertising. I'm Gabriel Gatehouse from the Global Story podcast. It's two months since Javier Millet, known as El Loco, the madman, was sworn in as Argentina's president. Can he follow through on his promises to slash government and tame inflation? And do Argentinians have the patience to see if it's the right idea? The Global Story brings you fresh takes and smart perspectives from BBC journalists around the world. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. In 1969, a plan to show support for an anti-racism protest turned the lives of 14 promising black student-athletes upside down. Amazing Sports Stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts. Hello, I'm Stephen Sacker, and welcome to this special episode of The Documentary from the BBC World Service. I host the BBC's Hard Talk podcast, in-depth, hard-hitting interviews with newsmaking personalities. And today, we're rebroadcasting an interview recorded in Moscow in 2017 with the Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny whose death in prison was announced by the Russian authorities on the 16th of February. Despite harassment and legal challenges, Navalny, back in 2017, was planning to challenge Vladimir Putin in looming presidential elections. But months later, the authorities banned him from running. In 2020, he survived an attempted assassination with Novichok nerve agent, And having recuperated in Germany, he returned to Russia, knowing he was a marked man. For the last three years, he's been a prisoner, in and out of solitary confinement in Russian penal colonies. For many years, Navalny had known that his activism could cost him his life. And back in 2017, he explained to me his motivation. Alexei Navalny, welcome to Hard Talk. Thank you very much for having me here. You have been involved in opposition politics of one form or another for almost 10 years, maybe more. And it just seems to me that right now your position is perhaps more dispiriting, more depressing than it's ever been before. Would you agree? Absolutely not. Actually, I... uh, I Ironically, I can call Vladimir Putin as my godfather in politics because when he came to the power and the way he talks and the way what he's saying, what he's doing, the laws he's passing through Duma told me that uh, Russia is done with the democracy and uh, I should do something. I should uh, join to the opposition movement. movement. But, you know, uh, I didn't find myself in the more depressing situation with, uh, than previously. For example, uh, in 2008, uh, the biggest rally, biggest meeting I participated in was uh, maybe 100 of people, maybe 200, and meeting with uh, 1,000 of people was tremendously big. Uh, but in the 2011, 2012, we saw rallies uh, participating with uh, hundreds of thousands of people. So I saw different times and uh, 
it doesn't bother me how many people now come into the streets. But I that's just enjoy doing the right thing. But in a way, you, you've just made my point for me. You had a momentum between 2008 and 2011, 12. It did appear that you were building a real popular street movement. But look at today. Today, more than 80% of Russians say they approve of President Putin, but also the international situation is changing. And in particular, we are about to see a new U.S. president who admires Vladimir Putin, who says that Putin is smart, who says he believes that he can trust Putin and wants to work with Putin. That's your new reality. Well, uh, I have to remind you that, for example, in 2008, everyone in the world, they admire Putin and Medvedev much bigger than now. Uh, do you remember the so-called reset strategy declared by Obama administration? They were just nice friends with the Mr. Mr. Putin. They are kissing each other, etc., etc. Yes, uh, uh, we but had when, a momentum when, in our... let, Let's be specific. When yeah. Donald Trump says, and this is a tweet from just the other day, when he says, quote, we should be ready to trust Vladimir Putin, what is your feeling? Well, it sounds disappointing for me, and, you know, it's bothering me because I have no idea why Mr. Trump, so kind of Mr. Putin, because their views on politics, on particular issues, they're 100% different. From migration to the economy, they 100% different politician, but they like each other and it's strange. But, well, uh, I would say that international uh, relationships between Kremlin and foreign countries, they wasn't the hot issue inside of Russia. So, well, someone is good for Putin, someone is bad, it doesn't care for me. But do you, in any sense, feel betrayed by an incoming U.S. president who says that he regards working closely with Putin would be a great asset. You know, because in a sense that that works against everything you are trying to achieve. You're trying to tell the Russian people that as long as Putin is power, Russia is going to be facing sanctions, Russia is going to right. be isolated, right. Russia has no international future. And yet uh, Trump's well, message is very different. I don't like it, and I, I uh, could say honestly that I'm irritated by this, but annoyed by this, but I don't feel betrayed. And I can tell you about moments when I feel betrayed. When Putin's oligarch, uh, in the top of the, in the, of the British list of the most wealthy people, when uh, government officials from Russia buy an apartment costing uh, 11 million pounds in London, when they are uh, freely traveling all over the Europe and all over the uh, world, despite you have a lot of special regulation, like, you know, you have a so-called bribery act in Russia, uh, in Britain, and you can, uh, without any problems, prosecute these people uh, for the, uh, on your own laws, for the money laundering, for the bribery, but they are uh, feeling completely free. I feel a bit betrayed, but it doesn't uh, have something with, with uh, Donald Trump so far. Isn't one of your big problems that Vladimir Putin has very successfully wrapped himself in the Russian flag? He's used nationalism as a potent political force, and he's done it in recent years by projecting Russian power beyond your borders. And obviously I'm thinking in particular of events in Ukraine, but also what we see in Syria today. Vladimir Putin, to your people in Russia, mm -hmm. looks like the strong leader 
reviving Russian power that so many Russian people want. Uh, Vladimir Putin just trying to distract Russian people from the real problems like inequality and poverty. We have uh, 23 million of Russian citizens uh, living below the line of poverty, and he's distracting them from this, pro uh, uh, from this problem with his imperial delusion about making Russia great again and all this stuff. But well, you call it an imperial delusion. Uh, Vladimir Putin would say to you, Getting back Crimea, which is ours and historically was always ours and means so much to the people in this country, that's not a delusion. That's something that he has delivered for the Russian people. I would say that uh, everyone in Russia would be much happier if Vladimir Putin delivered some more wealth to the Russian people, not just to his oligarchs, because... Uh, what was uh, happening in Russia in terms of economy, I will use the favorite uh, term of Mr. Trump, is a disaster what's going on inside of country. And yes, uh, his, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin uh, have a very aggressive behavior towards everyone in this world now, but uh, it's just because he do doesn't have an ability to solve uh, problems inside of Russia. Are you telling me that your message to the Russian people is that if you, Alexei Navalny, were in power in the Kremlin, you would hand Crimea back to Ukraine? Is that what you would do? I don't think that there are a simple, uh, a simple decision on this issue, uh, but I would say that, first of all, I will start a new and honest referendum in Crimea, and the voice of Crimean people on this honest referendum. No, with all due respect, start. international law yeah. is quite clear. Crimea belongs to Ukraine, and it was annexed illegally. So if you are to reset Russia to create a new dynamic between Russia and the outside world, you would have to hand Crimea back. Are you prepared to do that and to tell the Russian people you would do that? Uh, I would admit honestly that it was an illegal annexation. Yes, it's true, but there is no simple decision like uh, moving Crimea back and forth, right? And uh, I would say that this problem don't have any decision for the couple of decades, maybe longer. It would be something like, you know, North Cyprus or a territory we're sharing with Japan in uh, arguing with Japan for the decades, uh, or Palestinian territorials. All uh, conflicts like this, they don't have a simple solution, and maybe they don't have solution at all. But uh, what we should really consider in this situation is the opinion of the people in Crimea. Actually, we have no idea what they're thinking, because the referendum uh, which was done by Vladimir Putin, it was just a fake. We need a new referendum, and it should be the start of what we're doing later. See, the context here again comes back to Donald Trump, mm -hmm. because whether it be on the Ukraine-Crimea issue or whether it be on Syria... Mm -hmm. Donald Trump has indicated that he can foresee the easing of sanctions, maybe even the removal of U.S. sanctions on Russia, if uh, Putin will work with him on what Trump regards as the big priority, which is the fight against jihadist terror and the so-called Islamic State movement. How would you feel if the United States eased sanctions against Russia? Uh, I cannot support this part of sanctions which applied towards Russian economy in general, since I'm a Russian citizen. Uh, but I will be definitely very, very unhappy if Mr. Trump will ease 
uh, and counsel, this part of the section which apply to the particular personalities like friends of Vladimir Putin or uh, Putin's oligarchs or corrupt officials who is uh, in the, his closest circle. Because actually this part of section is very uh, uh, nice for the Russian people and it's supported uh, by the Russian people. But to put it bluntly, do you think Donald Trump cares about issues inside Russia, human rights, freedom, democracy? Absolutely no. And uh, I would say that previous administration and previous administration before Obama didn't care about this as well, practically. You know, some of them uh, said something, but in general, they just don't care. I don't, don't have any delusion about this. You have, from the very beginning of your political activity, focused on corruption. Right. You talked from the very beginning about Putin's regime being a regime of crooks and thieves. Has it changed in any way during the decade that you've been working on anti-corruption activities? Yes, it's changed. It's, it's became bigger. Now uh, Putin's friends, his very close circle of friends, they just replaced the Russian economy itself. 90% of the government procurement is his friends. And uh, he has literally maybe five people who just uh, grab all Russian economy, all government procurements, all government contracts, uh, look all roads, all bridges, all tunnels uh, constructed in Russia by Mr. Rotenberg and by Mr. Chimchenko, who was the closest associate of Mr. Putin. They are doing everything. They are supplying equipment for the Gazprom. They are supplying pharmacy, uh, medical equipment, etc., etc. So, 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 so let everything. me get this straight. You're saying things have gotten worse. The corruption is more rampant. The cronyism is terrible. Yeah. And yet Putin's approval rating is at 86%. Well, Suggest to me the Russian people don't care. Well, this is a major mistake people doing when they discuss in Putin's regime. Because they are all the time referring to this rating of approval and uh, it's a mistake to compare Russia, which is authoritarian country right now, to undeveloped democracy like you have in, uh, we have in Eastern Europe, for example. Uh, we should compare Russia to the countries like Uzbekistan and Tajikistan or Zimbabwe. In all of this country, leaders, they have a rating uh, of 95%. And it's just a specific of authoritarian regime. They have a maximum rating of approval until the very end of their life. So, uh, but I want to ask you, could you tell me, please, what was the support of the Soviet uh, Union, of the Soviet uh, Communistic Party mm. in, the, in our country in the 1985? 100%. Mm. And then, what was the approval of the Russian Tsar in the 1916? More than 100%. But it, it means nothing, actually. And uh, if, uh, even in uh, 211, the rating of Putin was about 70%. But out of the blue, hundreds of thousands of people came in the streets and asking Mr. Putin to go away. Right, but hundreds of thousands are not coming onto the streets today. You, right. had, you had your moment when you ran for the Moscow mayoralty in 2013. I think you ended up getting 27% of the vote. That, in a sense, was the high watermark for you. Things have not been so good since. And now, frankly, you are in deep trouble when you leave 
this interview with me, you have to go to Kirov to face yet another court case where you're accused of embezzlement, and if you lose the case, you're going to face new sentence which could involve... But I have the same in the uh, 212. Before my mayoral election, I have the same before this rally in the Moscow streets, and I, uh, I guess from the 210, I never had a day in my life when I wasn't under the criminal prosecution, because it's the way how they fight me. That's true. You've had uh, convictions, you've had house arrest, right. and, uh, you may well end up in one, prison one, again. Your brother is currently in prison, yes. in solitary confinement. Right. You know that you are treading a very fine line. And if you go one inch too far, you'll end up in prison or who knows. I definitely don't draw this line for myself. I just do what I can do in, the, in this particular moment. And I don't care about what Kremlin is doing, what their strategy about keeping me in prison or releasing me. Uh, maybe you know that I had actually a moment when they imprisoned me for five years and I spent the night uh, in the prison uh, knowing nothing about what's going on in Moscow where tens of thousands of people came in the street and they forced actually Vladimir Putin to release me. These people who came in the street, they are not gone. They are still living in the city. They are still living in the country. And I'm absolutely 100% sure that my program for this presidency election is the program based on the needs of the majority of people. Let me stop you there. Right. Are you absolutely determined, you talk about your run for the presidency, you're determined, come what may, to challenge Vladimir Putin in the election which we believe will come in 2018. You are going to run, are you? Yeah, I'm going to run and, uh, well, I'm not a naive person. I understand that Kremlin is very unhappy with me running and I understand that they will do everything to prevent me from running and recently several Kremlin's officials said that he's not allowed to, allowed to participate but still I, I'm going to appeal to the people and ask uh, for their support. I mean, in this office where we speak, you've already got your logos organized, Navalny 2018, but I put it to you that if you lose this court case, in Kirov, based on accusations of embezzlement and fraud, you will be barred from running. And whatever you tell me about your determination... It doesn't, actually, it doesn't nothing in the, current, in the current country. Well, as I said, they imprisoned me for five years and they released me on the next day. So you what, what kind of law? The same with the, my participation in mayor election. Uh, it, was, it was almost impossible to participate. But when people came in the street and said, we are not going to recognize this election without him participating. They so you should. think you can use people power against Absolutely. Putin? Actually, it's only tool I can do. It's only I have. But people support. Mr. Navalny, I'm tempted to say to you, get real. You know what happened to Khodorkovsky. You know what happened to Kasparov, who's now in exile. You know what happened Are to Boris Nemtsov. to get real? I am real. I can assure you that I'm real and I have a uh, my brother spent his time in jail. Uh, he's took away from his family, and you, as you mentioned, he's in solitary confinement. And they are really torturing him every time when I'm issuing new investigations. So I'm a guy from the real life here in Russia. And I understand everything. And I do believe that people's support can prevail the strategy, what, uh, what kind of strategy Putin has against me. Boris Nemtsov, whom you knew very well, was walking down a street just 
a couple of hundred meters from the Kremlin when he was murdered. That is the reality of Moscow today. You're not immune from that. Uh, in this particular room, we have meeting with him and with the volunteers. We were preparing the big rally. And after this uh, meeting with the volunteers, we went in the street and I was arrested for the 15 days and he was killed a week later. So I understand what's going on in Russia. And I understand what, uh, a lot of risks and I understand the danger. But this is my country. I'm going to fight for, for my country. And I know that I'm right. And I know that uh, development of the country is much better than capturing new territories. Look at the map. We have quite a big country. We don't need new territories. And I'm sure that I will explain to Russian people that my alternative is better than Vladimir Putin's. Let me just ask you one perhaps strange question. Why do you think you are free to walk the streets of Moscow today? So many other opposition people are not, but you are. Could it be that you are useful to Vladimir Putin? Because he can always say, ah, look, we are a democracy because Alexei Navalny is allowed to do his thing. He's allowed to talk to the BBC. He's allowed to run his anti-corruption office. That proves what a free and democratic place we are. You could be a useful tool I don't Vladimir know. Putin. Yes, I'm allowed to talk to BBC, but unfortunately I'm not allowed to talk to the uh, Russian TV station. You had an interview with Mr. Peskov and you uh, uh, asked him about me several times. Did he ever mention my name? The same with Putin. Even uh, pro-Kremlin journalists, they are laughing on this situation because for uh, all these years he never mentioned my name. He's afraid of, not about me, but he's afraid of people. Who I represented. You talk about Dmitry Peskov, who I'm going to see again in just a couple of days' time. He seems supremely confident that Vladimir Putin has a grip on this country that will not be relinquished. What would you say to Peskov that might undermine his confidence? Well, I guess the, a lot of Russian people have just major question to Mr. Peskov, and the question is, why are you lying all the time? For the decades, he never uh, said the single word of truth. He's lying all the time. And how he's just managed to have a deal with himself, he's, you know, getting up in the morning, look at him in the mirror and said to himself, today I will, again, I will live as a lying uh, human being. The problem is, as you've said in this interview, you don't get access to Russian state TV. Right. You do not get the, the, the sort of I media coverage. You can't win. That's the problem. You just cannot win in the system that Russia has today. I can and I will. So how do you do it? How do you mobilize these people you claim are out there, all of the anti-Putin feeling that you, says, that you say is in Russia today? How do you mobilize it and turn it into a political campaign? Well, uh, we started our campaign just for a month. And so far, I have 20,000 volunteers registered uh, in my campaign. So it's the biggest amount of volunteers we ever had in the history of uh, modern Russia. And uh, yes, you're absolutely right. I don't have an access to uh, TV. I never had because uh, Vladimir Putin uh, take, took over the last independent TV station in 2001. 
So I never had a coverage from the state media, but uh, I can operate without them. In the uh, 2013, on the Moscow mayor election, without money, without uh, access to the media, I got almost 30%. And I'm totally sure that I would won in the second tour if in the first tour they didn't make a usual fraud on the election. We talked earlier about your brother, who is in prison, in solitary confinement, it was a court case which involved you and him, but ironically, he was sent to prison and you escaped prison. He wrote to you recently. He said this. He said, Alexei, you cannot, you must not stop and give in to their demands. Even if you are considering quitting, it is out of the question. At what point would you decide that this is not worth it, that you're, you've had enough? I really hope that will be never such a moment when I decide this because it means that everything is useless what I've done before. This, all this sacrifice made from my family, my brother, made by Boris Nemtsov who was killed, he was shot in the back uh, close to the Kremlin. Uh, a lot of other people, we have uh, political uh, prisoners, hundreds of them all over the Russia and uh, if I will stop it means all these sacrifices this are useless. And they are not, and I do believe in what I'm doing, and I do believe that my alternative is better for Russia. And I absolutely agree, I, and I'm absolutely sure that we will succeed, and I'm believing victory. And yes, and when we, you we, think, have a, when, when we have you a think tough it, time right now, and this empirical delusion, and yes, but uh, trends, political trends, they are changing. People became poor, people, people asking questions. And I have the support from family and from people, and I'm uh, not going to let them down. Alexei Navalny, we have to end there, but thank you. Who were the Black 14? 14 football players who were at University of Wyoming in 1969. 14 student athletes who paid a heavy price for planning a show of support against racism. It hit the campus like wildfire. Some of them was getting death threats. Amazing sports stories from the BBC World Service tells their story. It was a complete surprise that he kicked us off the team. What are we going to do with our lives? How are we going to get our degrees? Search for Amazing Sports Stories wherever you get your BBC podcasts.